Well, we are in First Timothy, like I mentioned, and uh, the series that we're looking at is entitled Blueprint, and uh, this morning we're going to be uh, looking at uh, what needs to be, what was Timothy's responsibility, as Paul wrote to him, and what our responsibility uh, is to be as a church as well. Uh, Timothy has been a co-worker of, uh, of Paul for many years. He's been on... Uh, Three of uh, two two of the missionaries' journeys. I don't know if you can call Paul's fourth missionary journey a missionary jer- journey. Probably so, but uh, Timothy has been on all those. And so, if you read Paul's letters to these various churches, Paul is constantly mentioning Timothy's name because Timothy has been with Paul all this time. And uh, and but Timothy now has been assigned to a church in Ephesus. And uh, he is the, the pastor who has been appointed by Paul to uh, help uh, lead that struggling church in Ephesus. And uh, as Paul writes this letter, this short letter, it's six chapters long, um, there's two things that uh, unfold in this letter. Number one, that uh, the gospel will lead to godly behavior in our lives. As we read the gospel, as we read the New Testament, um, godliness in 1 Timothy chapter, uh, 1 Timothy, it's mentioned, godliness is mentioned 10 times in this book. And when we believe the gospel, when we surrender our lives to the gospel, it ought to produce practical and visible life change in our lives for those who believe. And the one verse in 1 Timothy that summarizes what this chapter is all about is in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15. Paul writes this to Timothy. He says, If I am delayed, you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household which is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of the truth. And so Paul, in his letter, is concerned about godly behavior of those who are in the body of Christ. Now, when we talk about godly behavior, uh, this isn't just a, a moralistic manual And we're just to kind of have to suck it up and depend on our own resources, resources, uh, what we can do. No, to live a godly life requires infusion of God's spirit in our life. We can't do this apart from the person of Jesus Christ. We have got to be relying on his Holy Spirit to give us the the desire and the obedience that we need to uh, live out the gospel. So it it requires an infusion of Christ's presence in our life. So godliness is the first reason why Paul's writing this letter to Timothy. And the second reason is that he's giving us a description of what the church is to look like. If you were to ask yourself the question, what is the church to be? What is the church to look like? Who's to lead the church? 
What kind of character qualities are, are to be in those who lead the church? First Timothy is the book to go to. Because many of those principles are found in this letter. And so, uh, I, I don't know about you, but uh, I kind of like to look at different websites, church websites, as to how uh, churches portray themselves, how churches present themselves, what kind of message that they are sending into the community who are checking out their website. And uh, I wouldn't say a lot, but but many church websites, when you go to their front page, their, not, not their profile pic, what's the other, the big caption? What's that? The front home page, front page. Um, you know what's at the top of that website? It's a, it's a video or it's a picture of their worship band. It's a, a picture of their stage and, and all that's happening during the worship service. Uh, that's you sending a message uh, out to the community, whoever wants to check it out, of what their church is like. I don't think that's the message that uh, Paul wants us to emphasize as we he read as we read his letter. Uh, godliness, appropriate behavior among God's people, and being the church whom God wants us to be. That's the message that we need to be communicating to, to those who are checking us out. And, and this morning in chapter one, we're going to be looking at the highest responsibility that we have. And that's the gospel. So with that being said, let me begin with verse one. And I need to be really fast. I'm going to read through this chapter. Paul. An apostle of Christ Jesus by command, by command of God our Savior and of Christ Jesus our hope. To Timothy, my true child in the faith, grace and mercy and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies, which promote speculations rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. The aim of our charge is to love, is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Certain persons, by swerving from these, have wandered away into vain discussion, desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they are saying or the things about which they make confident assertions. Now we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully, understanding this, that the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who strike their fathers and mothers, for murderers, the sexually immoral, 
men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound, or that word can, can be healthy, doctrine. In accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted. I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service, though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, insolent opponent. But I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief, and the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. This is a trustworthy and deserving and deserving of full acceptance the, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of who I am foremost. But I receive mercy, and for this reason that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. To the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. This I charge, this charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience by rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith, among whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. So, in getting into uh, this first chapter, we see in um, uh, verse, verse 1 and verse 2, that uh, Paul is describing himself. He's saying that uh, he is an apostle of Christ Jesus by the command of God. And uh, in verse 1, we see right up front that Paul is the um, author of this letter. And it is God who has appointed uh, Paul to this ministry. And he's writing to Timothy. And he says in verse 2, To Timothy, my true child in the faith. This wasn't a, a physical relationship. Timothy was not his son and he was the father. But uh, it was Paul who led Timothy to faith in Paul's first missionary journey. And then as Paul was coming through on his second ministry uh, missionary journey... Uh, he was looking for some people to join him. And the people in the church of, I believe it was Lystra, encouraged Paul to choose Timothy because he was a faithful servant of the Lord. And so here we see Paul and Timothy, and they have this very close relationship. My true child in the faith, uh, Paul says. And then he mentions grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Grace, mercy, and peace. 
That's how God relates to every one of his children. Grace, uh, giving us what we don't deserve. Mercy, keeping from us what we do deserve. And peace. That ought to encourage your heart and that encourages uh, Timothy's heart because he's in a difficult situation. It is not easy to be the pastor of this church in Ephesus. There's, there's some false teachers in this church who are bringing harm to this church, and Paul is going to mention two of them in chapter 1 this morning. And here we have this young pastor who is having to lead this, this congregation. And it's stressful. And so as Paul mentions these words, grace, mercy, and peace, let that sink in, Timothy, because that is, describes your relationship with the Father and our relationship with the Father. So we see this um, greeting, verses 1 and 2, and I don't have more time to uh, go, go into detail about this, but I do want to talk about uh, verses uh, 3 through 20, because uh, we see what Timothy's responsibility is to be as a pastor of this church, and it's not just the church in Ephesus, but this is the, to be the priority of every church who claims the name of Christ. And there's three things concerning the gospel that need to be a priority in Timothy's church and in our church. Verses 3 through 11, we see that first priority about the gospel. We need to guard the gospel. Verse 3 says... As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you, you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine. That word ch- charge is a military term. And it's mentioned eight times in 1 Timothy. That, that, that uh, word charge means to give strict orders from a superior officer. And so these are Paul's words to Timothy, and Paul is giving these words. Paul has these words. They're inspired by the Holy Spirit, and they come with authority from the command of God. Paul has been enlisted by God for this responsibility. And first is that they not teach any different doctrine. Things that pull people away from the gospel. And there were lots of different ways uh, people were being pulled away from the gospel in Ephesus. Uh, Ephesus was a carnal city. There was a lot of, of sexual perversion. There was the goddess of Diana that was being worshipped and it was just uh, in it was just everywhere around this this city. Does that sound kind of familiar? You know, there are lots of people in churches today and in this church 
who are being pulled away from the gospel because of the immorality, particularly on the internet. People are drifting. And people are becoming apathetic and cold and hard-hearted towards the gospel. Paul is telling Timothy, I charge you not to allow anybody to teach a different doctrine that will cause people to be pulled away. Guard the gospel, Timothy. And the way we guard the gospel is by the way we use God's word. Now, let me just mention how not to use God's word, because Paul mentions a couple things in this in this passage of scripture. One way we are not to use God's word is by adding uh, more things to the law's demands. Look at verse four. Verse four: Nor devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies which promote speculations rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. These um, false teachers were, um, were teaching extra-biblical things from the Old Testament. And it led to conversations on uh, endless genealogies and, and lots of different myths. And they were just adding, they, they were just creating a bigger burden among the people in the church of Ephesus. One of the ways that uh, they were adding to this burden was in uh, chapter 4. If you look at chapter 4, verses 1 through 3, Paul addresses uh, these false teachers more in chapter 4. He says this, Now the Spirit expressly says, In later times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared, who, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good. And nothing is to be rejected if it is to be, if it is received with thanksgiving. For it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. And so these false teachers were saying, you know, there, there's certain foods that you need to avoid because they're un, they're unhealthy. They're not going to help you in your spirituality. You need to avoid marriage. If you want to live a sanctified, holy life, if you want to be approved by God, you got to pay attention to your diet, what you eat and don't eat, and you've got to avoid marriage. They were heaping things, burdens on people that shouldn't have been there. Our salvation doesn't come through obedience to the law or these extra biblical things. And so they were adding to the law's demands. And number two, they were teaching a salvation through the law. Church, our salvation doesn't come through the law. Our salvation doesn't come through obedience to 
the Old Testament commandments. Paul says in verse 4, the stewardship from God that is by faith. When he's talking about the stewardship, the responsibility that has been entrusted to us is by faith. He's talking about the gospel. We need to guard what the gospel truly says. This glorious gospel of grace. Our salvation doesn't come through man-made effort. Our salvation comes to us purely and solely by the grace of God through faith. And to teach any other gospel, Paul says, results in disastrous consequences. It leads to arrogance and ignorance. These false teachers didn't know what they were teaching in verse 7. And they were very arrogant about the things that they knew that others didn't. And Paul says, you need to avoid that teaching at all costs, Timothy. You need to do something about these false teachers. So what is? So Paul mentions how not to teach the law. What is the purpose of the law? Is the law all bad? Is, is, are we as believers that now that Christ has come into our lives, you know, we're no longer under the law, the Bible says. So are we to have anything to do with the law? Yeah, the law is good. The law serves a purpose. Verse 8, Paul says, Now we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully. How do we use the law Lawfully. Now, when we talk about the law, we're not talking about uh, dietary or sacrificial laws. Those went by the wayside when, when Christ came, when Christ died on the cross, when Christ rose from the grave. He delivered us from out from under the law. Those things are no longer, those things are not binding on us as believers in Christ. They were set aside. But when we are talking about the law, we are talking about the the transcendent moral law. The law of the Ten Commandments in particular. And as we live those, as we apply those to our lives, you know what? God blesses us. He protects us from the consequences of sin. But he also blesses us when we choose to obey those commands. The purpose of the law, for one, restrains us. As we look at the law of the Old Testament, the moral law, we know what good is, and we know what evil is. We know the consequences if we choose to obey, go against those laws. In verse 9. Look at verses 9 and 10. Paul says this. 
The law is good if used lawfully, understanding this, that the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who strike their fathers and mothers, for murderers, for sexually immoral men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine. The law shows us the boundaries. The law teaches us and restrains us from disobeying the law. Temporarily. We're all familiar with the Ten Commandments um, in the book of Exodus. And there is not one person in this room who has perfectly kept all ten commandments. In fact, we have broken every one of them. Oh, you might be here this morning. You might be saying, Pastor, I've never murdered somebody before. You're right. You haven't physically murdered someone before, but you've wanted to murder them in your heart, haven't you? I'm not the only one, okay? We are all guilty. You know, maybe uh, you've never committed an act of adultery physically, but you've coveted someone else's spouse. I'm sure that all of us here in this room have told a little white lie. You know what? A little white lie is just as big as a really bad lie. We have broken Every one of those commands. And as we look at those laws, as we see them, for us as believers, you know what? It restrains us. We don't want to go there. And we don't always stay there. But the law primarily has been, is there for people who don't believe. The Bible says... The law has been laid down for the just, but not for the just. The law is not laid down just for the just, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly sinners. So, number one, the law is good because it restrains us temporarily. Number two, according to this verse, the law also condemns us. When we look at the, the law and the fact that we've broken that law, it's a testimony against every one of us. And you know what it's saying? Guilty. Guilty as charged. And every person in their heart of hearts, they, they may have never read the Ten Commandments. But the Bible says that God's moral law has been written on every person's heart. And we know the difference between right and wrong. The law contemns us. But the third purpose of the law, good purpose of the law, It shows us 
the reality of who we are. That we are sinners. Where we stand before a righteous and holy God. And the fact that we need help. Because as we look at that law, that law cannot wash away ourselves, our sin. That, that law only screams back to us, guilty. The only person that can wipe away our sin, forgive us of all the, of, of our brokenness, all that we've done wrong, is the person of Jesus Christ. He lived the perfect life. He he never broke the law. He kept the law perfectly. And so when he went to that cross and allowed himself to be crucified on that cross, Jesus was the perfect, unblemished Lamb of God. That could become our sacrifice. When you see a sacrifice in the Old Testament, the family who was sacrificing that lamb, they had to spend time with that lamb. And they had to study that lamb to make sure that there were no blemishes on that lamb that would be their, their sacrifice or that individual sacrifice. The sacrifice had to be perfect. Pointing to the person of Jesus who would become the ultimate sacrifice. There would never have to be ever a sacrifice again because Jesus totally appeased and satisfied the heart of himself over our sin. God the Father poured all his wrath, his anger, his justice against my sin, your sin, the sin of mankind, he poured all that anger out on his son. And Jesus took the punishment. And the Bible says the righteousness that Jesus had became my righteousness. Your righteousness when you believed by faith you trusted in what Christ did for you. He gave us his righteousness as we gave him our sin. The great exchange. And so the law only condemns us, points us to the person of Christ who can forgive us through faith. And the law shows us God's will as we now live our life for Jesus Christ. As we look at the law of the Old Testament, those moral laws, this is God's will. This is how you and I are to live our life. There's blessing that comes through this obedience and there's great heartache and brokenness when we disobey, but we see, we can know God's will and how we are to live our lives by knowing his law. And so Paul is telling Timothy to not ignore the law, 
but to use the law properly. Because the law helps restrain God's people. And as people live according to the law, and as you're using it and teaching it properly, look what happens in verse 5. Paul says, The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. This is the fruit of living according to God's word. And and this is what we are to be teaching about the gospel in the church today. We are to guard the faith. There is only one salvation, and it is through the person of Jesus Christ, and people cannot be saved any other way. These false teachers... We're trying to convince these people that there is another way by avoiding certain things. There's only one way. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father but by me. And it is a gift of God's grace. We didn't deserve it. God gave it to us. My time is up. But let me just mention this. Not only are we to guard the gospel, but we are to celebrate the gospel. We have much to praise him for. And Paul, in his letter to Timothy, used his own personal testimony. Because this is what the gospel did in Paul's life. Verse 12, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service, though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, an insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. This is a saying, this saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am foremost. But I receive mercy for this reason that in me as the foremost Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. Paul was the chief among sinners. When we come when we talk about this grace of God and, and our salvation, Paul wasn't even looking for Jesus. He was looking for Jesus' Jesus followers so that he could persecute them, so that he could kill them. And on the road to Damascus, Jesus stopped Paul, Saul at that point, dead in his tracks, and said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting believers? No, that's not what he said. Saul, why are you persecuting believers? Me. Paul hated Jesus. He hated his followers. And he wanted to exterminate every one of them. And when Paul says in Romans, 
while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Paul knows exactly what he's talking about. Because he was at his absolute worst. When Jesus, by his grace, giving Paul what he did not deserve. He did not deserve grace. He deserved wrath, but God gave him mercy too, rather than wrath. And saved Paul. It was something God did. Church has a gospel worth celebrating. It's God who saves. It's God who's patient, who's unconditionally loves us and is waiting for us to come to Him. Maybe there's somebody in your life and... Um, you think they are so far from God. There is no way under heaven's name where God's grace could extend to their sinfulness. Paul saying, look at my life. My life is a perfect testimony of the gospel and what God alone can do in a person's life. And so my encouragement to you is be patient. Continue to love, to continue to live out this, this, this gospel. Look at verse, verse 14 again. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Paul experienced that. And Paul shared that with others. I was, I was listening to a young man this week who has been deeply hurt because of infidelity in his wife years ago. And he has a heart of unforgiveness. But he's choosing acts of love in spite of how hurt uh, he's been by her. That's the grace of God in this husband's life. And I just encouraged him, be patient. Be patient like God was patient with Saul. Saul had deserved to be obliterated from the map as to how he was treating people. But God saw beyond Saul's sinfulness and saw what he could do with Saul's life and use Saul mightily. And so I just encouraged him, be patient. She's not beyond God's grace. And in the meantime, 
Continue to do what you're doing. You know, show those acts of love. It'll be like heaping burning coal upon her head, Paul says in Romans. Love. That's a reflection of the gospel. And it's, it's love. It's love that's going to draw this person to himself. The kindness of the Lord is meant to draw us to repentance. There's more to share. But Paul says to Timothy, first and foremost, the gospel is primary. Guard it. Teach it accurately, appropriately. And then let's celebrate it. Because this is what God has done in my life. And this is what the gospel is all about. And Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. And what has happened in Paul's life can happen in your life. It's happened in my life. We've got all got a story to share. It's only God who saves. Jesus is our only hope. We read the newspapers, we look at the, the internet, and there's a lot of hopelessness in this world right now. There's a lot of division. And only God can heal our land. Only God can heal Cameroon. Jesus is the only answer for this world. It's because of the gospel. Jesus came into this world and died for sinners so that we could be with him for all eternity. Do you know Jesus? Jesus says to me, come to me. All you are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. Only he can do that. If you're here this morning, if you know Jesus, we're going to have a song of invitation. We're going to celebrate who he is in our life. Maybe you want to go and you want to commune with him at the Lord's Supper supper table. I encourage you to do that. If you need to pray with somebody this morning, God needs to give you patience for someone that you don't have a whole lot of patience for. You're not trusting God's grace in their life. Jesus wants to help you persevere. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for Timothy. Thank you for, but thank you for the gospel. God, we so much take it for granted. And it's only by your grace that we can be here today and worship you and celebrate God, what you've done and are doing in our life. I pray for people who are struggling right now to persevere, to be patient, to be loving towards others who have deeply hurt them. God, Help us to trust your gospel. Help us to live by faith. Just as we believed it in the beginning, you want us to continue to walk in it 
by faith. Be glorified, Father, this time of invitation, of celebration. In Christ's name, would you please stand with me, please, as we sing, oh, praise his name. Again, if you need prayer this morning, we'll be in the dining hall. We want to pray for you, but let's, let's worship our Lord and Savior. I cast my mind.